morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again. I'm Kieran, and we are returning, as Mark says, to our series in the Book of Acts. So this morning we're looking at Chapter 11. Do you want to turn that up? It's on page 1108 or 11 or 919. So we'll read all of that. <coughs> So this is carrying on from the account of the vision Peter had in chapter 10. So really it's all of one piece, but we'll just read chapter 11 this morning. I'll pray as we find it. Our Father, thank you for your word. We ask now for your spirit to be with us as we come to consider it together. We pray that you would help us understand what it means to walk with you and to not stand in your way, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. <coughs> Excuse me. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit 
and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so reads God's word. I want us to, to think about what it means to walk with God and not stand in his way. And firstly, by changing your mind for the gospel. Verses 1 to 18 is all about changing your mind for the gospel. When you say you've, you've changed your mind about something, it can be fairly mundane, like an order in a restaurant, or it could be something a lot more foundational. If it's something that you've believed your whole life, it's far more serious to change your mind on it. If it has shaped your whole identity, who you are, what it is you've stood for, how you understand the entire world around you, changing your mind about something like that is radical. And it's unsettling when you felt that you had known your mind on something and then you realize you have to look at it again. You're having to rethink. A significant change about how you view the world and in your faith, if it is you have one, is even more unsettling and, and difficult to do. It doesn't happen easily requires a lot of input, a lot of conversation, a lot of persuading, and it can make you feel very uneasy, and you can be really defensive at first about it. And you might say, well, I, I am defending God, and you could be, but often we're defending ourselves because we feel uneasy, and that can color our judgment because changing our mind about big things like that doesn't come easy. It can be messy and disturbing, but also when that happens in our faith, it can lead to a whole new appreciation of who God is, how we relate to him, and what he's doing in the world. And verses 1 to 18 is all about changing your mind for the gospel. So in the opening four verses, the apostles and brothers, they'd heard that this change was going on, that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And they criticize Peter for going and eating with uncircumcised men. That was a really big deal for them to understand why would Peter do that. And so Peter began and explained it to them in order. And then he reiterates what had happened with this person, Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Chapter 10 gives us a full account of that with this strange vision of the sheet and the animals and being told to rise and eat and three times Peter says no and the Lord insists and in chapter 10 verse 34 you have this same summary account truly I understand that God shows no partiality so he's learning that the gospel is changing his worldview and is reaching out but he took a lot of persuading he needed to change his mind. He needed to, to rethink everything he understood, his faith, his lifestyle, his, understand of what it was, his understanding of what God uh, was doing. 
He had to learn what it meant to walk with God and to not stand in his way. But it, was, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of persuading for him. It needed an angel. It needed a repeated vision. It needed the experience of seeing a non-Jewish household come to faith and repentance in Jesus. It took a lot of evidence and revelation to get him to see. His fellow Jews, though, coming in here in chapter 11, they hadn't had the benefit of that yet. And they're trying to understand what's going on. They can't make sense of why Peter would disobey God as they understand it. And they're, they're trying to appreciate and determine what's going on. Why is Peter eating with uncircumcised men? Because they understand it that there's certain things you do, certain things you don't, certain people you hang out with, certain people you don't, some things you eat, some things you don't. And Peter seems to be contradicting all of those ground rules. And so he explains it to them. Luke puts it so eloquently. Peter began and explained it to them in order. And so in five, verses 5 to 17 is basically a repeat of everything that had happened in chapter 10. He retells the whole story. So I'll not read it all again, but he, he says in verse uh, five about being in Joppa and praying in the trance and the great sheet which descended and all the animals and rise, kill and eat. And he goes through the whole thing again, which in itself is very striking because you think maybe Luke would want to save a bit of ink, a bit of scroll. Why does he go through and say the whole thing again? It's because it was such a massive issue for them and such a key change was happening in how the gospel was working that it required hearing the whole thing again as Peter reiterates it to them. So if you're to change your thinking, change your mind, it takes repetition. It takes some convincing. It takes a while to hear things again and for it to sink in. And this was a huge thing for them. For them to see that the food laws were changing, that they were being fulfilled somehow in everything that had happened in Jesus, that now that meant Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were on an equal footing with them. That was huge for them to try to take in. And so the whole thing is repeated as Peter tries to come alongside them to help them understand what it is he saw and experienced. The vision, the, the conversion of Cornelius and his household and the work of the Spirit that he recounts was indisputable. God was breaking out. The fulfillment of his promises was happening right there and then in their lifetime. It was absolutely massive. They had to change their minds about their whole lives. They had to change their minds about how it was God would have them live, how to interact with other people. They had to change what it meant, their understanding of what it meant to be one of God's people. And they stood right at the edge of a whole new world that we are benefiting from here today in City Church. It meant that they would be saying goodbye to some familiar and to some comfortable patterns and to some securities and entering into a vulnerable time of change. And to do so would mean that they had to embrace something much bigger and be part of something much greater, which of course would be to their benefit. They were learning the power of the gospel. Just how much change this news of a crucified Messiah who paid for their sin meant, all that it meant, the effect that it would have, that anyone can hear this news now. Anyone can repent of their sin. Anyone can 
turn their lives around and be filled with the same spirit they were filled with. Jesus Christ and his gospel was turning their world upside down and the world around them, and everyone now was on this equal footing. It was undeniable, and God was changing their minds. He was showing them where their thinking had gone amiss, where their thinking needed to grow, how their minds needed to change to understand and appreciate what it meant to walk with God and to not stand in his way. See, and they conclude in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has re granted repentance that leads to life. Perhaps you need to change your mind for the gospel in order to walk with God and not stand in his way. Perhaps you've become selective about what it is you think God can do or who it is you think God can work with or who might be on an equal footing that perhaps you think they're not because the Spirit of God can reach anyone. Could it be that you've become preoccupied with external things associated with faith, things that have become familiar keeping certain rules or trying to protect yourself and protect God when ironically you're actually hiding from his greater purposes and afraid of what his bigger purposes might mean for you or for your life or for the things that you've been more familiar with. Have you lost the belief and the conviction that God can change others in the same way that he has changed you if it is you know Jesus? To walk with God and not stand in his way may need you to change your mind for the gospel. Now in this account from verses 5 to 17 is a repeat relaying, a repeated revelation of everything God had done. They needed to hear it, to think about it, to discuss it, to process it. Even Peter himself had to remember what Jesus had said in verse 16 and he applies that to that experience. So I'd encourage you to look deeply into God's word, look deeply into his revelation. Join up his revelation with the experiences of your life and ask yourself, what do I need to change my mind about? Where do I need to change my mind for the benefit of the gospel in order to walk with God and not stand in his way? What do I need to let go of? What change is God demanding of me and of my life? What do I need to take on? What do I need to repent of? What is God doing in the bigger picture? Where am I accusing others of stepping out of line when actually they're appreciating a deeper level of the gospel that I'm a little bit afraid of? It might make a divine mess of your life, but ultimately that would be a good thing. This made a divine mess Nobody knew what was going on at first and everything was about to change and they had to work through it. But I hope we make a divine mess in everything we do in City Church that requires us to think afresh about what God is doing and to work through where he would take us next. And for your lives as well, it would be great if you became unsettled by the Spirit and made to rethink things in order to grow and see where it is the Spirit would take you and what the gospel is doing in your life and what God is doing 
in this city and in this world. Because this has happened, it's left a lot of unanswered questions. And so we move on to the section 19 to 25. What does it mean to walk with God and not stand in his way in 19 to 25? Well, it's about telling anyone and everyone the gospel. You do that by telling anyone and everyone the gospel. When I first came to understand who Jesus was properly and what the Bible meant properly and what this gospel was, I didn't understand it all, but I appreciated that it was something massive and real. It caused an absolute bomb of a divine mess in my life and in our family. Chaos to work through. But in those early days of all of that, I had an intense experience of opposition from lots of people and family and beyond, but also an incredible determination to tell anyone and everyone what it is I had come to know about Jesus. Even though I knew that it sounded nuts and weird, and there were Americans involved, which sometimes can be a bit wacky for us in Ireland, especially back then, <laughs> you know. And I, I was still determined to tell everybody about it because I knew something huge was occurring. And I could see what it was doing in the lives of others. Something of God that just couldn't be stopped. Something that had a life of its own. And it was raw and powerful and irrepressible. And so I was telling anyone and everyone about it. I didn't know much what I was talking about. I got over not having answers to ju by just being very strident about everything. <laughs> but I was determined to let people know. And there was great joy and freedom in it. And I was reminded of those times when reading these verses and the way in which it flows, the way in which this divine chaos just spills out and people are telling anyone and everyone about it. At first, they just tell the Jews, verse 19, as they are scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, he'd been martyred, they start to travel and, and out the word goes. But at first, you see, they speak only to the Jews. Then in verse 20, there were, there were some among them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who in going to Antioch spoke to other people, to non-Jews, to Hellenists, also speaking, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So these weren't people who grew up in the same traditional Jewish way, and the word has been brought to them. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So at first they just tell the Jews, but then there's these other guys. There were some of them, men of Cyrus, of Cyprus and Cyrene. They, they didn't seem to get the memo. They just go for it. They are pioneers, trailblazers. And they start telling anyone and everyone. They don't mind where they've come from or how much they know. They were telling anyone and everyone. And the gospel starts to break out. It was unstoppable. It was changing the entire world, the nations. And how did that happen? Well, very simply, by people who knew Jesus telling others about Jesus. That's what they did. See, they were preaching the Lord Jesus, the end of verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. See the power of the spoken word the story of changed lives shared, coupled with the power of God himself, the hand 
of the Lord was with them. Great numbers come to faith in his name. They were walking with God, not standing in his way, telling anyone and everyone about Jesus. Didn't matter what their background was, what their lives were like, how little they knew about Jesus previously. They just told people about it. And sometimes we overcomplicate what it means to make Jesus known. You know, we make it the stuff of books and seminars and, and special events, and we can be awkward about it and think it's another thing I don't have time to add on to my already demanding lifestyle. But there's a joyous simplicity to this account. They were changed by Jesus themselves, and they wanted to talk about Jesus, and they wanted to talk to anyone and to everyone about him. And that changed the world. To help us with that, perhaps we should take a fresh look at the power of the gospel, the unstoppable force that it truly is, to perhaps widen our lens and have a look at what's happening in the wider world where people are coming to faith in Christ every day, and to reflect again on how it is God has changed our own lives if we do know Jesus. But this account is wonderfully indiscriminate, and it's proving Peter's earlier argument that the Spirit is now making no distinction. God can and is granting repentance that leads to life to anyone, anyone without distinction. Jesus can turn anyone's life around. He can extend his grace without distinction. Nothing to do with race, with education, with social status, with gender, with sexual orientation. There is a true and genuine equality about the gospel. And that is a huge theme in Ireland right now. Yes to equality. And the gospel has equality right in the center of it. There are no barriers to following Jesus. Nothing standing in anyone's way. No one is treated unequally or with prejudice. The gospel is for and told to anyone and everyone. But of course, it is a gospel of repentance and of faith and of following Jesus for anyone and everyone. So walk with God. Don't stand in his way. Tell the gospel to anyone and everyone. Then in verses 22 to 26, to think about what it means to walk with God and not stand in his way by celebrating and encouraging the gospel. By celebrating and encouraging the gospel. You read in the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent this guy Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. In our in, uh, church, myself and Mark used to work in, we were there for a wedding just last week and when I first started there it was about 10 years ago there was there was a lot of characters there mainly in the choir choirs are full of characters John and this one lady was quite resistant to, to change and one particular morning there was a there was a, a whole load of visitors I don't know why they were there and this woman was disgusted and she said to me what are all these people doing in our church why are all these people in my church what are they doing here? I was trying to usher her away. Welcome the new people. And 
Sometimes, you know, we can be more concerned with keeping things the same, with keeping things comfortable and familiar, you know, the, the way that things used to be, than we are with the gospel the church is driven by in the first place. Now, it's perhaps easy to, to criticize that particular incident, to highlight it, but sometimes our own belief system, our interaction with the gospel gets a bit stagnant, a bit samey a little blunt and tired, and we slowly forget the purpose of the gospel in the first place. It's for anyone and everyone, and it's a gospel that compels us to wanton and unhindered sharing of it, a gospel that's powerful, a spoken word that changes lives utterly, and a gospel that we've been given to celebrate and encourage as we see it grow. Everything was changing for these guys in this divine chaos that was the early church. And so the mother church in Jerusalem sends this envoy, this guy Barnabas, to see what was happening. Not as a spy, but as a means of understanding what's going on and assessing it and encouraging the good where he found it. And what a fine choice he proved to be. Maybe he volunteered because of his character, given his character as we see about him. So he appears... And he doesn't ask, hey, what are all these people doing in our, in our church over here in Antioch? What's going on? He celebrates it and he encourages the gospel. Do you see that in verse 23? He was glad when he sees God's grace and exhorted them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose, steadfast purpose and to keep going. He was a big-hearted person, someone who was able to embrace change when he saw it because he saw it was the grace of God. He saw God's work, he was delighted by it and he encouraged them to persevere in their newfound faith, he exhorted them. He helped them get established, he taught them. And he exemplifies the right response. He walks with God, he doesn't stand in his way, he celebrates and encourages the work of the gospel. He didn't resent that it hadn't come from their personal efforts or that this was changing his entire experience of faith and his understanding of the church and what God was doing. Great numbers were added to the faith. Everything was changing, and Barnabas was glad. He helped them put their roots down in Christ. Sometimes when we hear of church growth elsewhere, especially if it's another part of the city, we can react at first with a little bit of jealousy. Oh, why is that not happening in our church? Or we can feel a little bit threatened by, by growth that's not right on our own doorstep. But we've nothing to fear. We have everything to celebrate and encourage like Barnabas did. On, our own, on the other hand, when our own church grows, we can find ourselves a little bit put out as well. We can say, oh, you know, I liked it when it was a little bit smaller. You know, it was more intimate when there was less of us and we kind of knew everybody that bit better. Or I miss the people who used to be here in the first place, like Fiona. You know, and I don't really like the new people as much. It's just not the same. <laughs> you know? You've all, sometimes, somewhere you've had a conversation a little bit like that. And we can find ourselves not rushing in to welcome the change and the new people. But it's the grace and work of God. It's the 
work of the gospel and we ought to celebrate and encourage it and promote it. We're fickle, fickle creatures and we have mixed motives. We want to see the church grow. At the same time, we're not so good with change or with things not changing in the way that we thought they might. I want the church to grow. I just didn't want it to grow with those particular people. I don't really like those guys as much as the other guys. You know, we really, you know, you know what I mean. But Barnabas comes open arms, big heart, celebrates the gospel, encourages it. And he has this wonderful, selfless, and joyous interaction. He's thrilled by what God is doing, and he just throws himself right in. In verse 24, you see his character was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. His name means son of encouragement. And his response is in keeping with his name. He was an encouraging guy. And that's something for us to aspire to, to pray for, to ask the Lord that we would be people who, stand, who, who walk with him and not stand in his way by being good people, by being filled with the Spirit, by being full of faith, and by encouraging and celebrating the gospel. And to pray for the hand of the Lord to be with us here in city, and to pray for great numbers to be added to the Lord with other churches in the city as well and beyond. You know, Barnabas, of course, isn't just a well-wisher. He's proactive. He sees that the church needs solid teaching, and so he takes the initiative and goes in search of Saul in verse 25. And when he found him, this is Saul who would become Paul, who had been converted by Jesus in the Damascus Road. He brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So they get stuck into teaching these new converts the whole story of the scriptures, the big story of Jesus. They taught them the scriptures. And so we celebrate and encourage the gospel in ourselves personally and in others as we hear it taught and as we invest in it ourselves. It's the scriptures in the power of the spirit that exhorts us, that enables us to remain faithful and to persevere hand of the Lord was with them. The power of the Spirit was there. The great numbers are coming to faith, and the teaching of the Word, it's all of one piece. They are not separate things. So let me encourage you to do something you've perhaps never done before this year, to read a book of the Bible that you're less familiar with, or read it with someone else, but celebrate and encourage the gospel in one another. And do so in a way which helps to build up that faith and that work of the Spirit. In verse 26, this is where they get this reputation. They were first called Christians, these Christ people, because of this change. It was like a nickname. And that was the beginning of our story here. Here we are. And it would be great for us to have a reputation. Oh, those are those city people, you know. Those are those Christians in city church. They're always going on about the gospel, those guys, whatever that means. But finally, to walk with the Lord and not stand in his way by demonstrating the effects of the gospel in verses 27 to 30. By demonstrating the effects of the gospel. In those days, 
prophets came down from Jerusalem, from the mother church to Antioch, and Abigus, he prophesies about a famine. And the response, verse 29, they determined, the disciples, every one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They were demonstrating the effects of the gospel to this need. So when you encounter the risen Jesus, when his spirit brings you to repentance and faith, it changes your mind, and with that it changes the course of your entire life and your response to need when you see it. All of your priorities change. Your convictions change. Your concerns and your passions change. And when you see the grace of God in your own life and in the life of others, it generates that big-heartedness that we saw in Barnabas, and it spills over into a concern for others and a desire to meet needs when presented with them. The whole section from 19 down flows with hearing the gospel, following Jesus, being taught the scriptures, demonstrating the effects of the gospel in giving to others. They are swift in their response. They are demonstrating the effect of the gospels in their lives. So evangelism the work of the Spirit, word-based ministry, and mercy ministry, as it's sometimes known, all works together in harmony, just as it should. They each affect the other. We, as a church, are desiring to grow in that regard. We, we have a small little fund, compassion fund, that we, we have, should any of you guys be in need. And occasionally, we make special collections from time to time for things. But it's not just about the crisis situations. The fact that they responded so spontaneously here in this account shows just how deeply the gospel had impacted them, that they were ready to respond. They wanted to walk with God and not stand in his way, and they did it in this very practical way. They sent this money back with Barnabas and to the guys in Jerusalem. What a humbling experience that must have been for them to receive that from these guys. And the special collections that we do and the Compassion Fund perhaps are easier things for us. But the greater goal is to see the gospel sink in to us so profoundly as a church that our lives as a whole, our ministry as a whole, is demonstrating the effects of the gospel in our lives and seeking to meet the needs of others as a result. So that we can bless this city. So that we can play our part in the spiritual and social renewal of this city and beyond. So moving into 2016, let's ask God to reveal more to us about what it means to walk with him and not stand in his way so that we might begin to move forward as a church in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this really thrilling account from the book of Acts. We pray that you would teach us what it means to walk with you and not stand in your way. We have much to learn, much to change our minds about, and we pray for your help. We pray for more of your spirit, and we pray that we would see the work of your grace multiply in this church and in this city and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen.